Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings from, uh, what was the old line from Firesign Theater back uh, the waiting for the electrician or someone like him? It's hotter than Hooker and Heater and hotter than Heater in Hellville, where the high is predicted to be 109. Well, it's going to be 114 here today. And the building that we're doing our program from, uh, their air conditioning croaked yesterday when it hit 114. And so we're sitting here in a in a 96 degree studio doing this show. So apologies for the way it looks and how you know sweat soaked I am, but uh, we're here, and uh, we're not going anywhere. One of the things that I find so striking about this, frankly, you know, let me just toss it open to your comments on this as well. Ah, Joyce finally got a fan fired up. If you hear a little noise in the background, it sounds like an airplane taking off. <laughs> That's a fan. (laughs) I'm watching TV and all I'm seeing is disaster porn all the time. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible thing that 150 plus people are dead down in Florida. And, uh, you know, I'm going to wait until they've declared everything done and they have some, you know, preliminary estimates on exactly what happened there before I weigh in with opinions. I think probably today is a little too early for that. But... There are other things happening, and one of them is this massive heat dome over the Pacific Northwest that is starting to creep toward Idaho and Montana that is global warming on steroids, that is shutting down this city. Nate spent much of the weekend out trying to get water to homeless people. This is a real crisis. I mean, I I have no idea how much wildlife has died over the weekend. I know that our plants are dying, and, you know, thank God we still have power. And I'm not trying to make it like oh, gee, this is all about us here. This is huge, right? I mean, this is extending from, you know, central Canada all the way down to northern California and from out in the, in the Pacific where the, the blob of warm water that, has, that seems to be one of the things that's driving this thing, which just started appearing in the last decade, starts all the way toward, well, it's heading toward the Rockies now. And uh, I'm assuming it'll probably break up as it goes east. But I guarantee you, if this was happening in New York City right now, it would be the lead story. But, you know, uh, hey, Wolf's gone to Florida, and everybody's down in Florida, and everybody's talking about that. You know, it's a crime, and it's a shame. And Governor DeSantis recently had his deregulation-a-thon, 
where he invited people from various industries to come in and tell him which regulations to cut. And one of the industries that was represented were the real estate developers who wanted fewer regulations on how they build buildings. But like I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause that topic until tomorrow. Frankly, what I would say to the network executives who are making the decision to run with all, one building fell down all the time, as if that's some kind of a national story. I mean, it's a terrible local Florida story, like I said, but is this a national story, really? But the reason they're doing this is because we have this, if it bleeds, it leads media. And meanwhile, the planet, I mean, you know, literally millions of people a year are dying from climate change right now as, I, as we speak. And I, I, I'm just, I'm just boggled by it. You know, why are we watching disaster porn instead of hearing about climate change? It's a real thing. And in fact, the uh, Axios is writing about this today. Such events have proven to be especially deadly. There was, one, there was a heat dome like this in, in Europe, you'll recall, in 2003. These are fairly rare events. They're not supposed to happen at all. But the one in 2003 killed 70,000 people in Europe. Which is why I'm saying if this wasn't just Portland and Seattle, but was New York City and Washington, D.C., it would be the number one story in the world. Canada set an all-time record, and buildings just aren't built for this heat. As I can tell you from you know, sitting here in, in, in our building in northern Portland, the building's AC has failed. Here we are. We have two cameras in the studio here. One of them just died from the heat. It's, uh, it's pushing 100 degrees here in our studio because we had no air conditioning all day yesterday in the studio. Not that we were here, but the water cooler, <laughs> which isn't a cooler, it's a five gallon water thing on a porcelain thing in the back room. That water is so hot that it's almost uncomfortable to drink. It's approaching body temperature. So we may ex be start experiencing equipment outages here. So uh, if you hear us flip into a best of show or something like that, just, you know, advance warning, that's, that will be what happened because we just, just had a camera fail. You know, if computers start failing, it's going to be ugly. and Clackamas. Hey, Max, what's up? I'm in Portland here as well, and I'm suffering just the same as everybody else, but probably not nearly as bad as the thousands of homeless people that are living on our streets and roughing it. Yes. Rough sleeping. Yeah. People are going right. to die from this. I, you know, we haven't seen any kind of a body yeah. count yet, and I yeah. would be fascinated to hear what the hospitals in this area are, are reporting, but when it's 114, it was over 100 degrees for at least six or seven hours yesterday, and your body just can't cool. Heat stroke. Yeah, heat stroke, and not to mention when things get hot, especially when things are really hot at night and people have no reprieve, crime statistically rises. When you yes. can't sleep, you kind of you kind of go a little, you know, you get frustrated irritable. easier. Yeah. In fact, irritable. A book that everybody needs to read right now is called The Uninhabitable Earth, Life After Warming by David Wallace Wells. He goes through and breaks down how climate change is going to impact us in every way, including psychologically. And I want to use your platform here for a moment that increased heat does tend to put additional psychological stress on people. And there is a measurable increase in suicide during these high temperature yes. events. 
So just be aware of your resources. And that, as you say, Tom, despair is not an option. Yeah, no, but it's... One thing we have to talk about, instead of saying sustainability, which has been the buzzword for a long time, I want to talk about survivability, because sustaining the systems that got us here is not the correct option. Frankly, mitigating the impacts of what has happened to the planet at this point is very, very hard to do. Probably unlikely and impossible to do, given human psychology and sociology. So what we need to educate young people now is how to survive past that far end on the x-axis, which usually the climate graphs cut off at the year 2100. Well, there are children alive now who will be 80 years old in the year 2100. You know, my grandson's three. My granddaughter's eight months. They will live to see this. And frankly, I th- I'm guessing my children will live. Hell, I'm, I'm watching it right now. I'm in the yes. middle of it. It's, you know, it's going to be 114 degrees here today. And, uh, you know, like I said, this building just was not, this building that we're in was probably built in the 1970s. It certainly was not designed for 114 degree temperatures. This is Portland, Oregon, for, for goodness sake. And, you know, the, the awful part is it's this toxic feedback loop of the fact that we burn coal and fossil fuels generally in order to fuel electricity generators that turn AC units, which cool things down. But then, of course, that heats it back up because it's just a cyclical problem. And so we absolutely need to focus on survivability. If you ever have Dr. Mann on again, one of my favorite guests of yours is Dr. Mann. Please, please, please ask him advice, practical advice on how to live. Max, we'll we'll check into getting him on because it sounds like, you know, I mean, Michael Mann is a brilliant guy and expert in climate change, but he focuses on the science of climate change itself, not on, you know, how to build buildings or how to how to survive or how to do agriculture or all these other things that that are all going to change they are all in the process of changing we are literally watching them change as we speak so Uh, any capitalist out there any capitalist listening there's going to be a fortune to be made if you can figure out how to how to grow food and provide fresh water you desalinate ocean water so yep case in point in a very small way tesla and Elon Musk. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a, there's a fortune to be made. Well, in, in, look at the billionaires. Instead of saving the planet, they're just trying to leave it. I mean, look at what they're doing. Oh, like I know. Rats they're, on a they're, ship, they're, right? Let's blast ourselves into outer space and build a 400-foot yacht. Yeah, I'm with you. Max, thanks a lot for the call. Sean in Los Angeles. Hey, Sean, what's up? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to say it might not be all doom and gloom with the abandoned oil wells. Okay. How there's so? A company, there's, a, there's a company in Canada that's using abandoned oil wells to convert the remaining oil into hydrogen. Oh, the methane that's coming out? No, not the methane. When you abandon a well, there's still a lot of oil in there that they can't get to. Uh-huh. So they're using a process, pressurized water and igniting it. Uh-huh. And the hydrogen rises to the top. Huh. Interesting. So the states may be able to make money off of it in the end. Well, you know, those are the kind of things that will come down the road. But right now we are experiencing the consequences of the last 100 years, basically, of burning fossil fuels and the last 50 years of the fossil fuel companies lying to us about what they knew. It's getting ugly. It's getting ugly. Meredith in Walsenburg, Colorado. Am I saying that right, Meredith? Yes, that's close enough. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to tell you that we have 60 degrees here. 60? And it's because of an arctic blast we're getting the opposite of what you're getting i'll bet your arctic blast is what is blocking the movement of air to the west of you where we are i notice we always get the opposite of what you get you get a drought we get this right and then we get a drought and you get the wet weather yeah 
Well, you look at the at the weather map of the United States, if you look at the pressure maps, you, you see that there's this huge high pressure system over the Pacific Northwest. You know, there's a low behind it and a low in front of it. And so uh, that must be it. But, uh, you know, thank you yeah, for that. I you, feel sorry for you. Well, you know, no, we're good. We'll, 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 we'll make it through. And someday this will be a fun story that we'll tell our, I don't know who we'll tell <laughs> if anybody survives this. But we'll, we'll do our best. Meredith, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate You're it. Welcome. Ron in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Ron, what's up? Uh, it's cooler in Phoenix than there. It's already going to be 109 here today. Come over to cool off. Wow. Wow. And 109, I mean, again, the 70s was, what, 50 years ago? But I was in Phoenix. I spent a lot of time in Phoenix back in the 70s, and I don't recall it ever getting above 103. Am I, am I just remembering? I mean, I didn't live there. Am I just remembering something wrong, or is Phoenix yeah, actually yeah, heating up yeah. also? Yeah, it's always. I've lived here since six. 115 at least every year. Oh, it does. There's, there's a lot more hot days. Yeah. Last year, there were 53 days of 110 or more. 110 and, or more? Wow. Yeah, last year, 53 days. And this year, we've had uh, six days in a row of 115 or more. Wow. The record, the all-time record was in, was in 1990. It was 122. Yeah, that was a one-day thing, though. But but if you look at the trend lines, I'm guessing that it's probably getting hotter there. I know it certainly, excuse me, it certainly is in Death Valley. Last year also, there was a record for, I think, 130 days of 100 or more. So there's a lot more hot days. Wow, wow. Does it cool down at night for you, Ron? It, it got down into the mid-80s last night. I, I just can't imagine the people who are sleeping rough out on the streets. Well, some days it doesn't get below 90, but the record was a few years ago, 96 for uh, low temperature. 96 was the low? I mean, they're, they're not doing things here like other states. They don't encourage solar panels mm. or uh, electric cars. Other states get rebates. They don't do that here. Well, it's because you got Republicans running your state. Ron, thank right. you for the call. On the line with us, our old buddy Thomas Lindsay, the senior counsel for the Center for Democratic and Environmental Rights, CDER. Their website, Center for, F-O-R, uh, Center for Environmental Rights.org, as you may imagine, and the Twitter handle, Rights of Nature, at Rights of Nature. Uh, Thomas, welcome back. I understand you, uh, you, you guys are working on a big project down in Florida. Tell us about it. Good stuff happening in Florida. Folks may know that back in 2020, people in Orange County, Florida, put forward an initiative for the ballot that recognized the rights of waterways within Orange County. And I think to a lot of people's surprise, probably it got 89% of the vote, which goes to show you that people in Florida can't agree to much else other than clean water. But that's served as a stepping stone now for folks in Florida to work to qualify five constitutional amendments statewide. And so basically the work in Orange County has given birth to this wider movement in Florida towards qualifying these five amendments for the ballot in 2022. So has the Orange County law been challenged? It hasn't been challenged, and in fact, we helped to file an enforcement case at the end of April of this year against a land developer 
They want to develop 1,900 acres of land for commercial and residential development. That will include destroying about 130 acres of wetlands, which are protected now by that Orange County ordinance. Hmm. And so that Orange County law has been used now in a lawsuit that was filed at the end of April to both stop the developer from moving ahead to destroy those wetlands, but also against the state of Florida itself to stop the state of Florida from issuing permits for the development to proceed. And the state hasn't pushed back. I'm assuming they're going to fight that. Yeah, we're expecting an, an answer from them on the 27th from mm-hmm. both the developer and from the state. But what's fascinating to this whole process is that for the state to issue clean water permits to the developer, they basically have to prove that the development won't violate any local laws. But the Orange County Initiative, of course, makes it illegal to fill those wetlands for that particular development. So it's going to be an interesting court case. First, the United States to enforce one of these, what's become known as rights of nature laws, recognizing legally enforceable rights for ecosystems. Yeah, and that's where I wanted to go next. If you look at this in the most macro sense, the largest sense, this is literally about, you know, we've talked about human rights since the founding of this republic. This is about the rights of nature. In the more micro sense, I think a lot of local people, when they're voting for it, they're not thinking, yes, I'm voting for the rights of nature. They're thinking, I'm voting to make sure that my water supply is safe. There's a whole bunch of stuff in between those two things. How do you navigate all that? Well, it's about what's in the interests of people, and at the base, it's in the interests of people to have clean water. I think that's what we saw in Orange County. Believe it or not, Orange County is the only place in the United States where the right to clean water is actually legally enforceable. In other words, it actually exists. So I think folks in Florida, from Governor Ron DeSantis and the legislature on down, which has proven to be a complete failure for protection of the natural environment, that people in Florida have pretty much given up hope on either the state or their governor to do anything about what's happening in the Everglades or in the Indian River Lagoon or the St. John's River, the Clusatchee River, just to name a few. And so these constitutional amendments are about a complete failure of government to protect the natural environment. And I know the term ecocide has become popular lately, but what's happened in Florida is ecocide. It's a killing off of waterways. People have begun to understand that conventional remedies from government are not going to happen. And so they're basically taking government back in some ways to pass these and qualify these five amendments for the ballot. Right. Talking with Thomas Lindsay, he's the senior counsel at the Center for Democratic and Environmental Rights. Centerforenvironmentalrights.org is the website. Rights of Nature on Twitter. Thomas, it seems to me like maybe it's an imperfect parallel, but here in Oregon, we decriminalized marijuana a couple of years back. And then last year, on the tail end of that, or building on the strength of that, on the experience of that, we just said, the whole state, hey, let's just end the whole war on drugs thing. You know, Nixon's whole war on drugs thing here in the state, we're just going to end it. And we decriminalized possession. I mean, it's not legal to possess a small amount of heroin or psilocybin, but it is not a crime. It's a, you get a traffic ticket for it, for these small amounts. And it seems like with the rights of nature, like you guys have found the wedge that could do the same thing. You know, there's a broad consensus across America, I would assume, as you saw, you know, in Florida with 89% of the vote going for, yes, we want clean water. Well, let's extrapolate from that. Let's not just stop the war on our waterways by the, you know, being run by the big developers and, and whatnot. Let's stop the war on the marshes and let's stop the war on the, on the forests and on the jungles. Ultimately, the war on nature. Are you viewing it in that context? Absolutely. The rights of nature concept, this concept of 
human civil rights type protections for nature, we wouldn't be talking about any of that if the existing regulatory system that we've been using to try to, quote, protect the environment, unquote, has been working, but it hasn't. We're in worse shape now than we were 40 years ago when the major environmental laws were passed by almost every major environmental statistic. So what's happening now is, is that push that you see is that as these natural spaces are eliminated, as species go extinct, as waterways dry up in Florida, I mean, I was recently in Florida, and they were using backhoes to pick up dead sea life off the coast. And so between red tide and algae blooms, people understand that we've reached our ecological limits, and I think the rights of nature are part of the recipe for actually coming back and saying we're going to state a new system of law. And Florida is at the peak of that right now. They are the epicenter of the rights of nature movement. And the right to have clean water as a consequence of nature working the way it's supposed to, like a giant filter system, is such a great entry point for this. Thomas Lindsay, if anybody is listening or watching right now and they're saying to themselves, gee, I should do that here in Idaho or Arizona or Michigan or whatever, what do they do? Well, they can contact us and we'll help them draft a law and help them navigate the campaign system. We have a new 501c4 set up that actually assists communities to run through the campaigning for these particular initiatives. But I would say for your listeners that live in Florida, the time is now to print, sign, and mail these petitions back in. They need 900,000 signatures by November of this year. The website is fl5.org, which stands for florida5.org. All you need to do is put your information in once, and it will email you out these five petitions for these five initiatives that are going to hopefully appear on the 2022 ballot. So, again, that's florida5fl5.org. So fl5.org, but only if you're a citizen of Florida and presumably a registered voter there? That's correct. And we all probably know people in Florida. It's time to pick up the phone and call them and explain why they should pass these. There are actually five. Two are getting the most press. One is the right to clean water, which is getting the most media because of what happened in Orange County. It's a statewide expansion of that. Mm -hmm. The second one is to protect iconic species like the Florida panther, the manatee, bottlenose dolphin, recognizing those species as having certain legally enforceable rights. Then it also bans wetlands from being filled in or destroyed, bans trophy hunting facilities, and bans toll roads that are programmed to go through conservation lands or rural areas in Florida. So it's kind of like an omnibus five constitutional amendment package that would fix a lot of what's wrong with Florida at this point, at least what the political winds have blown in. So you're trying to get this on the ballot for a ballot measure. If that passes, does it then have to be ratified by the Florida legislature or signed by the governor, or does it immediately become part of the Constitution? Immediately becomes part of the Constitution. Actually, of course, Constitution, highest law of Florida, basically overrides the state legislature, which last year passed a law attempting to prohibit the adoption of rights of nature laws at the municipal level. The preemption so law. Both, yeah. both Ohio and Florida have passed these preemption laws, which attempt to prohibit municipal governments from passing any rights of nature laws. And of course, Florida has not been shy about passing preemption laws about other things. Recently, folks in Key West voted to ban large cruise ships from coming into their ports. The state legislature recently then passed a law to override that restriction on cruise ships, styrofoam packaging, plastic bag bans, you name it, Florida is the king of preemption and preemptive law, especially under DeSantis. 
Amazing stuff. Okay, so if you live in Florida or you know anybody who lives in Florida who's a registered voter, get the over to FL5.org. And otherwise, get over to Center for F-O-R, Center for Environmental Rights.org. Do I have that right, Thomas? Yes, that's right. Okay. Also, you can tweet him at Rights of Nature. Thomas Lindsay, thank you so much for dropping by, Thomas. Thank you, Tom. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On the line with us is uh, Richard Herz, Rick, the senior litigation attorney with Earth Rights International. Earthrights.org is the website. Earthrightsintl is the Twitter handle. Rick, welcome to the program. Tell us about this extraordinary Supreme Court decision that came down, ironically, on Juneteenth, if I'm reading this right. The case was Doe versus Nestle, and it involved plaintiffs who were trafficked from Maui to Ivory Coast as children, and then they were forced to work on cocoa plantations under really horrible conditions without any pay. Those cocoa plantations were suppliers for companies like Nestle. The case went to the Supreme Court under a statute called the Alien Tort Statute, that allows claims for violations of international law like like trafficking and child slavery. But the Supreme Court said that these corporations could not be sued. Now, it was, this was an eight-to-one decision. What did the dissent say? Well, the dissent said, ironically, it was Alito who nobody would have expected to be a friend to these plaintiffs. But there were a number of issues in the case. The primary issue in the case was, can you ever sue a corporation at all under the Alien Tort Statute? And the corporations were arguing that they are just flat out immune. The second issue in the case was whether the extent to which the Alien Tort Statute applies when the abuses or the injuries occur abroad. Even though the company operates in the United States and makes a lot of decisions in the United States. That's right. Even though it's an American company that operates in the United States. The court said that this case did not have a sufficient connection to the United States to go forward. And I can talk about that in a moment. What it also said, not exactly in an opinion, but five justices said that the 
argument that you can't sue a corporation is wrong and that you can sue a corporation under this, that there is no corporate immunity under the alien tort statute. The one dissenter, Alito, said, look, we took this case to decide whether corporations are immune. They're not. We should remand this case to the district court and let the district court deal with other issues, including letting the plaintiffs provide additional allegations of the connection between the claims and the United States. In other words, let's litigate the child slavery part of it at a lower court. We'll just deal with the corporate personhood, corporate accountability part. That was the dissenter, Alito's view. So basically, there was nobody on the Supreme Court who was saying that the United States, you know, should be a moral force in the world, particularly when it comes to American corporations. I mean, there's this quote, this is from childrenshealthdefense.org, quote from Marcos Simons, the general counsel for, for your organization, in which he says, the ruling implies that U.S. corporations whose executives decide from comfortable American boardrooms to profit from murder, torture, and slavery abroad cannot be sued in U.S. federal courts for violating international law. This ruling has disturbing implications for future victims of human rights abuses seeking justice against businesses in U.S. court. This ruling also sets a dangerous precedent giving corporations impunity for profiting from human rights abuses. It sounds like that last sentence isn't altogether the case, but has this, do we have a history in this country of holding American corporations to account when they engage in things like child slavery overseas? Or do we have a history of basically not holding them to account? Well, our history is not great on this. I mean, there's, there are other avenues in these cases involving international human rights abuses. You could sue under an ordinary tort theory, and we have been doing that in the alternative, in addition to bringing alien tort claims. But what the court should have said in this case, and didn't, was this is an American company. Because it's an American company, there's a sufficient connection between the United States and the claim. And that's enough. And that goes to the history of the law. It's a pretty interesting law. It was passed in 1789 by the first Congress. The point of it was to gain respect for the United States. We didn't want to be a safe haven for anybody who committed international law violations against aliens, somebody, you know, somebody from another country. Mm-hmm. We wanted to give them a forum to sue the person who hurt them if they can find them here. If a United States corporation, if that alone isn't enough of a connection to the United States, then what the Supreme Court is saying is that, in, at least in some circumstances, the United States can be a safe haven. And that's completely antithetical to the original purpose of the statute from 1789. I'm wondering if the argument was made that, you know, if we allow victims of slavery in other countries who were slaves because Nestle was providing the cash to make this all happen, if we allow them to go after Nestle, then any American multinational corporation that's doing business around the world is at risk. That Apple, for example, could be sued by Uyghurs who are slave labor in factories in China putting together iPhone. Was that a dimension of this? Was that a concern? Corporations are always raising those kinds of arguments. They do it in every case. They say, you know, if, if this goes forward, the sky is going to fall. The reality is that, you know, you can always sue an American company in the United States under either ordinary state tort law or the law of where the abuse happened. The problem with this case is it takes away, at least in some cases, and the scope of it's not clear. I can talk about that in a minute. But it takes away, at least in some cases, the opportunity to use the alien tort statute for that purpose. Right. And, and the alien tort statute is, is really meant for that purpose. 
Right. So, so basically, the, the, the whole purpose of the law just got gutted. Is that an accurate, you know, reasonable analysis? Well, it's unclear what's left. Court had said that there's extraterritorial limits on the ATS a number of years ago, but it didn't say what they were. Mm-hmm. And then it came to this case, and all the court says in this case is that general corporate decision-making by uh, a corporation is not enough of a connection. But that part of the opinion is really short, and it's really hard to know what that means. Like, for example, it leaves open the question of what about specific corporate decision-making? What about, you know, if, if executives in the boardroom here in the United States make a conscious decision and approve a decision to actually uh, aid and abet human rights abuses? So it's not some sort of general operational decision, but a specifically tortious decision. We yeah. don't know the answer to that. The court didn't answer it. So, uh, you know, we, we just have to see see in the next case. Are there future cases coming, Rick? There are definitely cases out there that present that issue, and corporations uh, do this sort of thing from time to time, although this is a pretty egregious example, and I would imagine that plaintiffs will test the issue. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Richard Herz, H-E-R-Z, the Senior Litigation Attorney with Earthrights International. Earthrights.org is the website. Earthrights, I-N-T-L, is the Twitter handle. And Rick, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great talking with you. This is the kind of thing that seems obscure on its face, but I, I think it's really actually important stuff for our standing in the world. Rick, keep up the great work. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want, and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, Patreon.com, slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Susan in Longport. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Well, I just wanted to say it was a beautiful 80-plus degrees here in Longport, but 116, 10 miles upriver. Wow. Yeah. You're in Longport, Oregon. Yeah, Mm. yeah, love it here. Oregon's lovely. Anyway, I just wanted to talk about that woman who called in and said, talked about the polar wander. Earlier, I'm I'm a geological oceanographer, and there was a study published in March of this year in the peer-reviewed geophysical research letters. And it's talking about how the melting of glaciers and are, are pulling all this groundwater up. It's causing the direction of the poles to wander and accelerate eastward. Are you talking the magnetic so pole or the physical pole? Magnetic, Yeah, okay. I believe. Uh, yeah. Because the magnetic pole um, is caused by the, the spinning of the Earth's largely iron core, is it not? I mean, I, I don't see well, how, how water would alter fast, that. It says the faster ice is melting under global warming would right. most likely cause for directional change of the polar drift. Oh, interesting. And it started, it's been, was quantified in 2005 and 2012, but they all actually go all the way back to 1990 now. Hmm. But, I mean, it's just like what we see with the... The crazy patterns of the jet stream, the slowing of the Gulf Stream, right. the fires. I mean, I, this is the existential crisis 
of our lives, and I don't know how we're all going to make it out of it. Frankly, I'm yeah. I'm terrified. Yeah, we're hitting. Well, let's not be terrified. Let's let's try to get the country off its addiction to fossil fuels, even though we've exactly. got you know a bunch of billionaires who want to keep us addicted. It's like we're dealing with you know heroin dealers. There, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the science. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Susan, uh, thank well you, said. Tom, for all you do. Oh, thank you, and th- and thank you for your for your kind words and for for the call. It's great to hear from you, Steve, in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, first of all, two quick things, and then a summary statement about what you've been talking about regarding climate change. Okay. The first thing is that they tell us not to praise you to high heaven because you know you already know how you know how good you are at what you do. But this statement is mostly for people that are new to your show. I can assure everyone, as a consumer of all types of media, podcast, NPR, uh, mainstream, etc., that Tom Hartman's show is objectively, provably, the most erudite, intelligent, factual, deep, and well-run show that you can hear. And the thank, guest thank you, Steve. But what did you call about? Right. Okay. Um, here's the deal. Yeah. I grew up in Pinellas County, Florida, and mm-hmm. I'm 63. Mm-hmm. And what's done, what's done here is being done to the entire planet. It's not just hacking the climate. In my lifetime, a beautiful county, a huge county, bordering the Gulf of Mexico that was a tropical paradise, has been destroyed. The dolphins are gone, the manatees are gone, the fish are gone, the birds are gone, the trees are gone, the rain is gone. Hmm. In its place is an urban... Well, I won't go into what I really think. And this is what we humans do all over the planet. Yeah, we've terraformed And climate change is just one of our many uh, powerful effects. And anthropogenic mass extinction is the real deal that the mainstream media will never mention. Yeah, there was the uh, there was that book that came out a couple of years ago, and that uh, caught the media's attention for about a week. But uh, you know that's pretty much it. And you're absolutely right. And this ties into not just fossil fuel usage, but population issues. And population issues then tie into the ex- exploitation and domination of women by men around the world. That's the principal driver of, pop- of the population explosion. And uh, I mean, there's just like layer after layer of this stuff. Yeah, spot on, Steve. I I completely agree with you, and I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, that, that Pinellas County has been ruined. Angela in Baltimore, Maryland. Hey, Angela, what's on your mind today? I've seen a clip of a congressional hearing from 1988. Al Gore probably chaired it. It was a Senate hearing on climate change. These people have known this since 1988. I've also come across articles that have said that LBJ knew about what what this was doing to the environment but we've my point is we've all done this to ourselves the government let us down the oil companies are, are greedy and and it's just going to get worse and i'm just really angry about it and i don't know what to do you know yeah well what we need to do is we need to support progressive candidates who are willing to take on the fossil fuel industry and that's not i'm doing i i do that but it, it just feels like it's too late. You know, it's, it's too late for the not going to kill us all consequences, but it's nowhere near too late for the it could kill us all consequences. My fear, Angela, is not that you know, we're all going to die from climate change. I think that that's kind of a, an exaggerated fear. My fear is that it's going to destroy civilization. 
Yeah, a couple of calls ago, the guy called from Florida said the manatees are gone, the fish are gone, the vegetation is gone. Yep. I mean, it just it just angers me that both Democrats and Republicans have done this to us for money. Right, and and now you we have in the United States, literally the only major political party in the world, in the developed world, that says that climate change isn't a thing, that denies climate change. Literally no other country on earth has anything like the Republican Party that denies climate change, um, which is you just absolutely You don't have time for me to give my opinion on the GOP. Okay. <laughs> well, Angela, I've got to move along anyway. Thank you so much for your call and, and spot on. I can't disagree with anything you said. Bobby in La Puente, California. Hey, Bobby. Thanks for uh, watching hey, us free speech. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, you feeling okay? I see you're dried up. When you first seen you on TV, you look like you're wet. I, I was. <laughs> then you're dry. We, we finally found a fan is what happened. They dug into the equipment closet here in the building and discovered there was this giant fan in there and uh, dragged it down here just as we were going on the air and fired it up. So we've got some air circulating in here. So yeah, my hair has dried out a little bit, but I'm still sweating. It's hot. It's hot. So what's what's uh, what's happening with you, Bobby? Well, California's drying up. This is real. This yeah. is real climate change. I know it from years ago, watching a documentary, the Kogi, or the Kogi, a tribe in Peru, I guess. They told, you know, the society, the white society, you're doing something. What are you doing? Because there was no snow when normally there's snow. So right there, where I live, yeah. okay, there was a San Diego River. Right, people used to use it for recreational. Used to call it Marano Beach, <laughs> you know, Sandy Beach. There's no water. San Gabriel Mountains. Just the other day, it was a report, satellite report. Cogswell Dam drying up, which feeds the West Fork. You know, mm -hmm. fishing dried up. Scary. Then we got these fascists. We got, you know, short-term pain, long-term gain. But I'm saying we'll get through this. You know, we have. You know, with the fascists, you got the climate change, okay? And here in California, the fire, I mean, you just got to hang in there. Yeah. You know, hang in. And if you're doing your part, educating people, I'm grateful, honest. And uh, The Native American community is, is being hit particularly hard by this. There's a, a good piece, I believe it was a Common Dreams, uh, over the you know, last day or two about this. Because oh. I, normally I stay in touch with a buddy of mine in North, North Dakota, he's uh -huh. from the Yankton. You know, right now they're okay. You know, we talk about planning. I got my garden going, and uh, and, and I got to call him and see what's happening. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on. But, yeah. uh, and then, you know, we just have to deal with it. Like like living here, us, been living in this house 40 years, Tom, no air conditioning. How do we do it? <laughs> you get the, a sheet, put it in the freezer, get a cold water. Or a block of ice, Tom, and that was our air conditioning. Yeah. I mean, that's the way we grew up. And, uh, you know, we don't contribute to the global, what's that, the ozone with air conditioning. You know, I used to hear that. So. Yeah. Well, that's a, good on you, Bobby. I, if, uh, this morning, Sue, uh, Sue Nethercutt, the you know, who does our newsletter, sent me a note. You know, I told I was kind of complaining at her in email that the you know it's ninety over ninety degrees here in the studio, and she said, "Well, put a damp rag around your neck, you know, or a damp cloth around your neck." And I was like, "Okay, a I got no cloths, and b I got no water." <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> Hot water, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it. yeah, but yeah. step by step, we'll get through this. Bobby, thank you for yes, the call. Yes, we will.
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ron in Chicago. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today? Yes, uh, there was a story I heard over the weekend about all these uh, abandoned oil wells across the country, an estimated 2 million that are just sitting there uncapped, uh, giving out methane gas. Yes, they are off gas. And, and, the, and the reason that they're like that is because the oil drilling companies run the same scam the coal mining companies uh, in the Appalachians uh, have been running for years and years, which is you go in, you extract all the, the so-called natural resource, all the, you know, all the, the coal or all the oil, and then when the, when the well is dry or when you've got a lot of wells that are dry or a lot of coal mines that are, or seams that are, that are burned out, you know, that are mined out, then you bankrupt your company and start another company. And that way, the company no longer has responsibility for cleaning up the mess. It becomes the responsibility of you and me, the taxpayers. And this is a scam that these companies have been running on the United States for probably uh, probably all of my lifetime. Uh, but uh, but it, they really fine-tuned it in the 1980s. Um, and in fact, our bankruptcy laws have been modified a couple times to allow you know to make it even easier for this to happen. And there's no personal liability for the for the executives in these companies. You know, they just they just move along, start another company. No problem. Yeah. yeah. So there, there might be in the state there might be one or two inspectors going around trying to find these these oil wells. Which yeah. Is. And when they do find them, you know, they can't go back to the to the to the to the guy that made you know thirty million bucks off that oil well and now has that stashed in a Swiss bank account. Um, they've got to go to the state or to the federal government and say, okay, we've got another Superfund site here, which is the same thing. I mean, this is the, you know, you go back to Love Canal. I mean, this is what the chemical companies have been doing forever, too. And, you know, you pollute like crazy, you, you make all your money, and then you bankrupt the company and move on, start a new company. They, you know, starting a new company is something you can do in 25 minutes with a lawyer, you know. It's, um, it is, it is, it is nuts. Ron, i got to move along, but thank you for pointing that out. That's, I, I, I caught that on the, I think it was in the Washington post i could be wrong but it, it was in the media over the weekend and so appreciate the call ron thank you cliff in santa clarita california hey cliff what's on your mind today hey brother tom i'm really sorry for what you and your crew are going through but uh, hey it's an really adventure cliff <laughs> it, that's, that's what i told joyce you know one day you'll look back on this day and you know we'll talk about it and laugh but yes. uh, if it's like this tomorrow for you 
uh, we'll forgive you if you wear, wear a tank top. Yeah, I, you know, had I known, I didn't, you know, when I, when I left home to come to the studio, I did not know, and our landlord should have told us, frankly, I did not know that I'd be walking into a 97 degree studio. Uh, but here I am, and here it is, and uh, yeah. you know we've got we've got uh, three fans running here, uh, yeah. which is the little buzz you probably hear in the background. But yeah, you know, we'll make it through. Life we'll goes make it on. Through together. Yeah. So, okay, but that's um, not what you called about. No, 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 no. Well, see, I watched I watched the weather, Tom. I watched the local LA news. I watched the weather on cable. They report on record temperatures all over the country, right? Not once do they mention climate change or global warming. It, it must be the corporate, you know, the corporate overlords pre preventing them from using those phrases. I mean, is that what's going on? Because nobody makes the connection. Oh, television. not only that, you know, social media sites are are censoring anti-pipeline demonstrations as being, you know, inflammatory stuff. Right? You know, climate change. You 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 will not see, you know, floating up to the very top of your social media feeds. Uh, stories about climate change, or, or stories about oil pipelines, and people's protesting against it, or you know, debt. You know, the, like the previous caller was talking about uh, uh, with the uh, you know two million oil wells. Yeah, the oil yeah. wells that are that are off gassing methane, which is making this whole situation even worse. I mean, you just oh. won't see it. Uh, and this it is makes, how. Go ahead. It, it makes it's going to make our fight all that much harder. Oh, and it has it. for years and, and years it has. and years. It is. So, it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There you go. Thanks a lot, Cliff. There. Good to hear from you. Jim in Chicago. Hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing today? I feel your pain. I grew up in <laughs> Tucson, Arizona, and I'll tell you what, if it ever got that hot, yeah. that it is in Portland, and I grew up in the middle of the Sonoran Desert, and when it got up to like 103, 104, we were in the house, blinds closed, Swamp, swamp cooler blasting. You know, Jim, I spent a good chunk of the 70s in Phoenix. We we did a, a lot of business. I had a company. We did business with uh, one of our largest distributors was in Phoenix, and, and, and he and his wife were very good friends of mine in Louise's, and we would spend weeks out there at all times of the year. And in Phoenix, well, actually, they lived in Carefree, a little suburb of Phoenix, but in Phoenix, mm -hmm. I don't recall it ever getting above 103. It was 114 here yesterday. That's insane. Yeah, it never got that hot down there. And when it got even close, like, I think the hottest ever I remember it being was like 105. Yeah. And yeah. we were all just, like, beside ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So I, it's just surreal that it's that hot there in Portland. Um, it is. This is like a disaster but, movie. It's like, you know, it's like one of those disaster movies where it starts out with, you know, the nice little family and everybody's having their, their dinner together or something, and they turn the TV on, and the TV says, oh, and uh, it's 114 in Portland. And they look at each other going, 114, that's not supposed to be. And then and then pretty soon it's like, you know, and Lake Michigan just drained into the Mississippi or something. You know, it's like it's the beginning. <laughs> Into the disaster movie. It, and it makes me just think like all the issues that we talk about, everything that we are concerned about, none of it matters if we don't address climate change because none of us are going to be here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And or at least none of our grandchildren. It's so obvious. Um, but anyway, real quick, I, I wanted to call about the filibuster. Comment, question, comment. If we don't get rid of the filibuster, we're done. Yeah, Republicans will win in 2022 and 2024 if we don't get rid of the filibuster. Absolutely. And you've got and you've got the billionaires and the and the hedge funds that are funding no labels and problem solvers uh, who firmly have you know probably eight or ten uh, Democratic senators in their back pocket. And uh, the question is, will Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are they willing to take a sledgehammer to that structure? Because that's well, what it's that going to take. My question. 
That leads to my question. How do they get rid of the filibuster? It, does it require a vote? Or yeah. do they just change the, fil- the, the filibuster is simply a Senate rule. In the Constitution, it says both the House and Senate establish their own rules. And uh, and traditionally, the, it, it doesn't establish in the Constitution how they do that. But the way that they typically do that is the, the uh, first vote of the new session, uh, which is every two years, um, the first vote of the new session is to ratify the rules. And if there have been any changes in the rules, to ratify those changes to the rules. And one of the rules that the Senate has is that if any senator objects to a piece of legislation or to having a debate on a piece of legislation, that objection will require 60 votes to overcome it, and which is called a filibuster. And so right. it, all they would have, and, and to, to overcome a filibuster takes 60 votes, but to change the rules takes 51 votes. And the president of the Senate has one of those votes. That's, you know, the, the vice president, the Kamala Harris. Well, and so all, they, can, they can change, they can do away with the filibuster with 50 votes. So the Democrats have the ability to do this. They have the power to do this. Do they have the will to do this? Are they willing to take on the hedge funds and the billionaires who are funding people like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin and a few of these other so-called problem solvers? I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm skeptical, but I'm hopeful. But if they don't, uh, you're absolutely right, Jim. We are, we are toast. And, and if Democrats become toast in this era with this Republican Party that has completely sold out to neo-fascists, American uh, democracy in the American Republic is going to be toast for at least, in my opinion, at least a generation. I agree. And we've got to put pressure on these guys. Like, and when I see these interviews on CNN, MSNBC, stop using big words. People, most people don't know what they are. Just speak it how it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As, Talk to people. Pull, pull the Republican Party playbook on them. Yeah, you know I, we we need some Matt Gates and and Marjorie whatever on our side. Speaking yes, to the and the and the closest in, we've got in, is in Alexander Ocasio Cortez, who who will speak out, um, but doesn't do crazy stuff. She doesn't do weird conspiracy theories. She's not nuts like you know Marjorie Trader Green. Um, so uh, you know, and I'm not saying that she should be. I mean, God bless her. Thank God there are truth tellers like her and Bernie. You know, in the Democratic Caucus. Um, but you know, when you're up against a fire hose of lies and disinformation, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? I just wanted to mention the the law of conservation. Energy can't be lost or created; can only be transformed in a closed system. Any type of alternative energy takes something from something. Bill, the exception to that is nuclear power, which converts matter into energy. Anyway, hydropower, which is 70% of the world's renewable, a lot of it is polluting. And obviously, when you take energy out of water, it does something. The Chinese started flooding these valleys to create these hydroelectric plants. Mm -hmm. All those thousands of square acres of organic material ends at the bottom of a lake and starts to gas off as it decomposes. And it may take 20 years for a project like that to stop gassing off enough methane uh, right, because all that, all that vegetable matter starts to rot. You're absolutely right. The kind of energy, by the way, that a dam extracts from water is called kinetic energy. It's the motion of the water, which is fed right. by gravity because water goes from high right. to low and gravity is pushing it. So you're, you're essentially taking the, 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 you know, the earth sucks, right? You're taking the power of the gravity from the earth on the water and converting that, that, uh, that motion, that kinetic energy into electricity with a, with a hydropower system. But, you know, you're, right. You're absolutely right about the conservation of, of energy, with the exception right, of when, when you break down matter. 
Right, but I think that the answer to all, because there's a limited alternative energy, is to stop making stuff, stop making junk, stop wasting energy. And uh, do you know what uh, of a uh, semi-precious stone called Fordite? You ever I, heard of it? I, I you know, yeah, but I don't remember anything about it. Uh, I recognize the word. It's it, people discovered from the paint wars, paint shops in these automobile plants that if they scraped it, there were layers and layers of uh, enamel paint. And you can shape it, and you can get all these colored, like, they look like gemstones out of it. Mm -hmm. And a piece of that, like, that's maybe 40 grams on a piece of jewelry can go for $1,000. To me, that's the ultimate form of uh, recycling, taking a couple of grams of paint and you know uh doing that with it yeah i get it um, and 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 recycle you know we need we need recycling i mean i you know it's and increasingly you're seeing things that are available we've got two dogs is the doggy poop bags now decompose uh-huh. rapidly they make them out of cornstarch and or you know some variation on that and so you know after six months in a landfill or whatever but one last thing people seem to not understand and bill mark made this mistake too that sunshine is the best disinfectant. Well, the only uh, UV light that kills viruses and stuff is the ultraviolet C. Right. And UVC. none of that reaches the Earth because it combines with oxygen in the upper atmosphere to create the ozone. ozone. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, and, you're right. Although you can get it from, from UVC tubes, but they can also, those disinfecting tubes can also burn the back of your eyes. So you gotta be very careful with them. Bill, I gotta run, but thank you for the call. It's always nice to hear from you. It's coming up on 44 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. It's 100 degrees now in Portland. It just hit three digits, 100 100 friggin' degrees. Judd in Las Vegas. Hey, Judd, what's up? Yeah, I'm a truck driver. You know, I'm actually, I told you once about California now, you know, if if he won and we could all break away and, you know, now stood for Nevada, Oregon, Washington. You know, that would be our new country. But I had to move to Arizona in order to find a place to park my truck where I, I could go home and be home. Anyway, wow. I wanted to get in on the thing about the GOP. Mm-hmm. For years, I've told people, you know, voting, it's like driving. All you do is, you know, you want to go forward. You put it in drive. Mm-hmm. Always look for the D, right? Yeah. And the R, of course, what does that stand for? Reverse. Okay. But now I'm, I'm just convinced, you know, with all those... Republicans who went to the uh, what was it? They went to Russia on the Fourth of July and all that. Yeah, you know the R no longer stands for Republican; it stands for Russian. Yeah, I you know and, and can't and argue I, with that one. I mean, just just yeah. look at Ron Johnson and his buddies and and yeah. and uh, uh, Rand Paul. I mean, you know they they all made yeah. that pilgrimage to, to to Russia on the Fourth of July. Um, and, and now I got to figure out. We got to find who I, I, I'm trying to find somebody who can run against Gosar because now I live in his district. Oh my, that's incredible. I'm I'm, I'm in a place called Meadview, Arizona. It's a small little vacation or little uh, retirement town. Ah, uh-huh. you know, so you're no longer in Las Vegas, Judd? No, no. Okay. Um, so you know, I'm only home. I'm only home for a week at a time. You know, because I'm on the road usually driving. Yeah. So, so, but so, anyway. So, how do you spell your town? Uh, Meadview, like Lake Mead, M-E-A-D. Ah. E-I-E-W. Okay. Oh, okay. Got it. That's. I actually was able to buy a place down there last summer, and I no longer have to rent and have a roommate who complains about coming to get me from a truck stop or wherever. And. <laughs> yeah, I get know. it. 
I get so it. So now I I can be home when I want to go home. I just go home. Yeah, well, that's nice. Judd, I got I to gotta move along, yeah. but thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you again. Thank you. Uh, Philip in uh, Nina, Virginia. Hey, Philip, what's up? I just uh, wanted you to draw a distinction between one of your earlier callers who talked about a vaccine passport for voting, and you had mentioned uh, public transportation, and then the last uh, distinction you made was restaurants. restaurants. You feel more comfortable. Yeah, and I, I just think that is more of a luxury, and I was curious if you thought there was a distinction between, like, public transportation to get to and from places you need to be and, like, going to a sporting event or a concert or a restaurant, which I see as a luxury. Well, those are luxuries. Those are things that people who don't have discretionary income can't do. But the reason why I think it's so important to do it that way, beyond just giving people who can't afford to do it the, a feeling of safety, is that when you learn, you know, it's, it's like, the, you know, stores have signs that say no shirt, no shoes, no service. So people put on their shoes mm -hmm. and they put on a shirt before they go into the store, even if they've been walking around without a shirt or without their shoes. They put it on because they know that that's what they've got to do, which means that they have it available to them. If, if it, on a widespread basis across America, uh, businesses that do business with the public in a big way, you know, retail stores, restaurants, sporting events, things like you mentioned, if they were to simply start saying, you can't get in here if, you don't ha if you're not vaccinated and you can't prove it, and the vaccine passports are free and the vaccine is free, that's going to cause a lot of people who might not otherwise even go into a restaurant, who can't afford to go to a restaurant, but who might someday want to go to a restaurant with somebody who can afford to take them to a restaurant to get vaccinated. It reestablishes a social and cultural norm. Our social and cultural norm is that you don't walk into a restaurant or into a store, you know, half naked. Well, you know, how is being unvaccinated different from being half naked? That's my point, Philip. Philip, I got to run, but thank you for the call. I got your point. I totally get your point. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hopefully our uh, building will get their air conditioning fixed tomorrow, although I'm not, uh, I'm not optimistic <laughs> from what I'm hearing. If you try and call an air conditioning uh, company here in, in Portland, the phone just rings and rings and rings because this, this city is in deep trouble. It's over 100 degrees, like I said. Anyhow, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, get out there and get active. Check out strikepack.com, Rachel Bittekofer's piece. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.